Welcome to the Growth Pioneers Podcast. This is your host, Doug Irwin. On today's episode of the podcast, I have a fun and engaging conversation with Reno Mayor Hillary Sheavey. We talk at length about the mental health crisis in the United States, a lot of her initiatives locally to help address that. We talk about her origins in politics, the rise of Reno, and the transformations that she's helped lead plus just a lot more. Without further ado, I bring you Hillary Sheavey. Welcome, Hillary, to the Growth Pioneers podcast. It's good to see you today. Oh, it's nice to see you. I miss seeing you. I know, gosh. It, <laughs> it really is. COVID is, keeps us uh, further apart, even though we've, uh, you know, our paths have crossed a little bit more recently. But uh, thanks for coming on the show today. I know, which is so nice. I, I miss all my old friends and just seeing everyone and doing all the you know, all the stuff we're used to doing, but no, it's such a joy to be here. Thank you so much, Doug. Yeah, no, it's my pleasure. You know, well, for those of you that don't know, um, my guest today is Hillary Sheavey. She's uh, the mayor of Reno, and you've been mayor for how many years now? Well, this year, it seems like forever. Surely. <laughs> this year, it seems like forever, but let's see. I'm in my second term now, so getting close to seven years. Wow. I know. Time flies, right? Totally. It feels like it was just the other day that we were sitting around. <laughs> <laughs> we should tell the story because oh, yeah. no one knows the story. This would be a good inside of some political juice here. <laughs> well, I'll, I'll set it up and then you can tell it. I just, I, okay, you know, go ahead. <laughs> we have a mutual friend in Abby Whitaker who runs a PR agency. And I, we were in a conference room one day and I guess was the day that the Nevada Supreme Court came down and made a ruling about you know, if a city council person could also become mayor and I'll leave it at that. And then what, then what right, happened? Right. Well, and then, <laughs> so it turns out that all these people were termed out at the time and I was the city council member at large. And, but at the time you had sort of existing council members wanting to run for mayor and I'll never forget, you know, I was so, it, it was, you know, I just, I don't know, I guess it was like a year and a half into my term. And, you know, I was so new at the time. And this opportunity came up where people were saying, you know, did you ever think about running for mayor? And of course, I was like so flattered. And then when I looked at you, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Doug, you need to run for mayor. You'd be amazing. Everyone would love you. <laughs> we need more entrepreneurs. I'd love to serve with you. Remember that? I, oh, so yeah. just everyone on your podcast needs to know that I tried to recruit Doug Irwin to run for mayor. <laughs> I was freaking out. I was, you know, my dad was mayor of Flagstaff when I was born. And it was, you know, like it it's wasn't necessarily the best. I was in my blood, but, I, you know, I had two young children. And I just remember going, no, 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 no. You should run. This is you great, Ella. You should definitely yeah, do this. Yeah, I, I literally did. That That's a serious story. I tried to talk you into it. You were so gracious and you're like, hmm. And then you're like, no, <laughs> definitely not. But I did. I tried really hard to recruit you because you would be tremendous because you're well, one of those people in the community. You love to build consensus. You love camaraderie. You love Reno. So, uh, you know, I'm a big fan. But that is a true story, people. So you should know that I did try to get Doug Irwin to be our mayor at, at the time. <laughs> I think we're in good hands, Hillary. I think we've made You're good choices sweet. in that. My my kids, I love all the time with my kids. I, you know, I, it's a, I get to see some of the things you get to deal with. And I just, I have the <laughs> deepest appreciation and respect for you. And it cannot be an easy job, especially in this year. 
Yeah, you're you're right. Ooh, it's been a year. You you were right. I would say tough position to be in for mayors and governors across the country for sure. It's been a really challenging time. I mean, I, I just think if someone ever would have said, Hey, we're gonna go into this pandemic and we're gonna live sort of isolated and close down schools and things like that. I, I just don't think I ever would have believed we would be in this type of position. So it's been really challenging for sure. But not just me, like I said, other mayors, I know I've, I've got really good relationships with mayors across the country. And a lot of them, I mean, you know, these are some of their biggest cheerleaders in, in the community, right, of, of their cities. And so just even seeing some of their demeanor has changed so much because of the you know, the pressure and, and worrying every day about your community, it's been really heavy on many of their hearts. So it's 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 tough, tough job. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was hard enough. I mean, just dealing with the rapid growth, the transformation, which I mean, quite honestly, when we first started this work, Reno was a very different place. I mean, it was not I mean, it was at the bottom of every, you know, <laughs> list. You know, bad, you know, horrible unemployment. Right, right, People right. were. I, well, we were set out to change that, and you guys helped lay the foundation. We all had this crazy big vision, and honestly, here we are, and it's really come to fruition, which has been super exciting to watch. But you guys had so much to to do with that. I mean, all all of you guys from yeah. you were like one of the first entrepreneurs here just going, okay, we could do this and we could do that. And I mean, I just loved it. You had so much energy and, and vision. You still do. I'm just saying that a little less energy, right. but you know, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, I mean, you, you knew exactly what I think the challenges were and what we wanted to be when we grew up. Yeah. And it's, it's pretty remarkable to think about the, ch- the things that have changed since then. I mean, just the I was just recounting this with Brian yesterday, just the number of people that are committed to supporting entrepreneurs, you know, the Innovation Center with Grace and Myrtle and the university and, you know, Startup NV and all the different groups at One Man Cups, all of these things, new, the Reno Seed Fund, like there's so much that when we started, there was none of that. And it just felt like, and it still does, but it really felt like a startup city. Isn't it point. so true? I, I think that's such a good way to describe it. We really were, we were a startup city. We had to lay the foundation. Remember you came to council and we did the fund? Oh, yeah. Remember? So we've learned a lot along the way, right? Oh, yeah. No, we did, we've tried. And the cool thing is we've experimented a lot. It hasn't all worked out, but that's... <laughs> But that's part of it. Like I always say, you know, when you stop trying is when you fail. I I really believe that. I do believe that. And you're right. It hasn't always worked, but I think it taught us a lot of lessons along the way, right? Kind of paved the map of, okay, go this way. Don't go that way. Do this, do that, right? Totally. And so you were such a a, a big visionary and really laid a lot of the groundwork. So I, I people need to know that about you because I know how humble you are. You're so humble. And and so it then it's my place to feel sort of like a proud mama of Reno Aww. and and say look at look at what we've done. <laughs> well, some of those companies still are operating from that original accelerator fund. I mean, I, you know, there's a couple, probably three or four that are still operating, which is a big deal yeah. given the number that we uh, invested in. And you know, it was my first experience actually working with government. I was literally in a <laughs> in a room and they said, "We have this extra CBG money. Yeah. You don't know what to do with it. We're going to lose it." I'm like, "How about you start a fund?" And it like <laughs> happened. And I was like, right? "Working with government's super easy. I don't know what everybody's talking about." <laughs> that, you know. Well, right, right, right. But you know, that was sort of my experience too, and that's why I always say we need, you know, more entrepreneurs in government. And it's hard to recruit on op- 
entrepreneurs, as you know, because they're so busy building their own companies and big visions and things like that. So it really is hard to get entrepreneurs to come to the table in government. But when they do, you can really create a lot of great things. And I also think that there's so much value that they can bring to the table of thinking outside the box, especially when it comes to red tape. Entrepreneurs know firsthand exactly what what they need. And you know this, they need it now and they don't do government time very well. So that's what's really helpful when you can get entrepreneurs at, at the table. And I also think too, entrepreneurs sometimes forget that, hey, if you are gonna open a business, you probably should try to have a relationship in some capacity with your government so that you know the process. Because I've seen so many things before where people will you know, go out there and sign a massive lease and then find out, oh, we can't even do that business in, in, you know, in this building or whatever it is if it's not zoned for, for that type of use, right? And so you can make some pretty costly mistakes, but I think at the same time, I have to say a lot of our entrepreneurs have really shaped this city into such a better community. Totally. Well, and I think, you know, what I've noticed is people that come from other communities, largely California, where the government is much more aggressive against growth, they come here and, and walk in prepared for the worst. And I, a, <laughs> a good buddy of mine is a developer in San Francisco, and he was looking at a project here. And and he had a question. I'm like, well, let's just call the head of development. And he's like, how do you do that? Like, I could never do that in San Francisco. And so I think that, you know, they just have a very different experience. Whereas my experience here, you know, is that we're a barn raising community and you're, you know, you're just another person, to, you know, with a role to, to play in the community and, and helping. And, but that's definitely not the case in every community. I mean, that's, that's clear. Well, and you're right about that. One thing that people love about Nevada and certainly Northern Nevada is that we're very, very accessible. You know this. I mean, it's it's still, even though we're now, we really are a medium-sized city, right? But we still operate like a small community, which I think has a lot of value, certainly when it comes to creating a great quality of life, but also that accessibility like you were talking about. I mean, you know this. If you want to get something done, Doug, you I know how you are. You could probably literally look in your phone and it's going to take you, you know, one or two people to get there. And so that's what's really cool, honestly. Like, I think we're a super accessible community, so you can get things done. Yeah, which, you know, I, I hope we can maintain that as we grow. And I think we're doing the best we can. I mean, the growth has come... I think faster than people would have expected. Although it does, you know, it does seem like we've been doing this for a while. It, it has, it feels like all of a sudden, almost overnight, that we're like a very different right. place. Right. But that, still, that the fact true. that we all know each other makes a big difference. Well, you're right. I will say this. I want to keep that feel right. Like that's really, really important to me. But it has changed a lot, and so I think that you just have to constantly continue to, I guess, check in and have your community shape sort of their quality of life and what they want to see. You have to really understand listening. I think that's super critical, but you're right. And I, I miss it because the funny thing is I was born and raised here. So you'll laugh because I don't know if you know this or someone probably told you this, but at one time McCarran was called Hash Lane. It was a two, yeah, it was a two lane road, right? With massive trees. It was really interesting. It was called Hash Lane. But, you know, so I remember obviously growing up here and, and seeing how it's changed. And um, in all, I think in a lot of all the right 
ways. And but at the same time, of course, it, it's it's it, there are challenges. Of course, yeah. That, but change that is, is hard. Balance. Yeah, it's a balance for sure, right? Yeah, and change is inevitable, and change is hard, especially you know as I go out during COVID to the hot springs that I used to be the only people out there, and you find a droves of people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, oh my gosh, I should have never mentioned hot springs. <laughs> You know. It's so true. It's so true. Everyone's like found all the outdoor secrets, right? Yeah. They really Although have. I did find a new one, not a new, new to me, but you know, known by Abby and a few that it was amazing. I should have been, it was, I had it to myself and that was a very rare occurrence. So that one's not showing up on social media. That's yeah, like I you and say, I, I'll, I'll tell you. But, yeah. <laughs> keep it quiet. How have you maintained your entrepreneurial mindset? I mean, you know, you're a business owner. How have you maintained that through, you know, seven plus years of government? I mean, that's a pretty remarkable thing to, to maintain that. Uh, that well, mindset. it's still, I think I, cause I am an entrepreneur at heart. I was, First and foremost, I never thought I would ever be in politics. That comes from probably my love for just advocacy of, of things. And, um, and you know my story. I, I became very frustrated, actually, with the city. I went, to, <laughs> I went to expand my business, and I needed to move my sign two feet, and they wanted to charge me about $5,000. So I was like, what? <laughs> this can't be a thing. And so instead of complaining about it, I just got really uh, motivated and said, I'm going to change it. And that's when I had this crazy idea that I should uh, run for office. And then not to mention, I think I really, and also part of that spurred from Midtown when we were all developing Midtown together, you know, they kind of said, Hillary, you're going to be the one to go to city hall and, you know, tell them about our vision that we want lighting and sidewalks and all these cool things. And I'll never forget. I walked in there and I had a pretty, uh, a pretty dark experience when it came to government. And I just knew that I, I don't think that they're listening to us. Actually, there were two council members that were really gracious and they, they did listen. And that was Dave Iazzi and Jessica Sraza. And I was really grateful for them because they kind of hung in there and sort of listened to the Midtown vision. But overall, I really felt like there was this major disconnect in our community and certainly with business and then also sort of this bigger placemaking of, you know, really interesting, cool parts of town with arts and culture. We didn't have a lot of that, or or certainly the city did not embrace arts and culture and things like that. So it was kind of my experience and I just felt like, okay, I'm going to run for office and change it. So it's kind of interesting that, I mean, I never thought I would be in politics ever. So, you know, I still sometimes my sister will say to me, Oh my God, Hillary, you're the mayor. Is that crazy? And I said, Oh my gosh, you're right. It's crazy. <laughs> I feel that way. I'm like, Oh yeah, I'm, I'm the dad. I'm the one that's supposed to be in charge. How does this right, happen? Right, right. And I'm eating the cake for breakfast. What's wrong? <laughs> right. But the good thing is I'm not a politician. I really, I, I mean, there's a lot of times I say, Oh my God, goodness. Did I say that my out loud voice? Right. Like, and you're not supposed to do that in politics, but I really believe you got to be human first. And I do think that that it really helps to connect with your community in that capacity because I've never wanted to climb up the political ladder or do anything more than just you know be involved in my community and and do the best that we possibly can for for our residents. Yeah, well, it shows. I mean, how how does it feel to drive through Midtown now with the streets and the the big roundabout with the art piece? I mean, it's it's pretty amazing. It's transformational. I mean, it only took what 
eight years or something. I mean, that, you know, oh, that's no. nothing. It or, took Doug. Or, it or took, 12 or something. No, it, <laughs> I've been counting and I've been <laughs> counting every minute too. No, it's about 13, 14 years now. <laughs> Can you believe that? It took that long. And so there you go. Government is painful, right? Yes. And as you know, as entrepreneurs, we like to get it done like now, but it is, it's really remarkable to see it today because you can see it's completely thriving and it's just got an energy about it. And it's wonderful because it really is the flavor of Reno with local businesses. And I want to keep it that way. I, I really don't want to see any big box in, in Midtown. I really want it to stay, you know, sort of just what it was intended for. And, you know, we, we built that in a time when it was in the recession and people probably don't know this, but we were one of the hardest hit in the United States. Uh, Nevada was with the highest of unemployment and foreclosures at the time. And Midtown could have never been built to this capacity had we been in a thriving economic market, right? You can actually build some of the best things in, in downturn economies. And that's where we could partner with, you know, stakeholders in that area and people that own property that were not seeing any, you know, revenue generated. And so that's where we kind of collaborated with entrepreneurs and artists and, and people that own property down there and sort of did these deals. And it became, you know, kind of this, actually, I think it became sort of this hope for um, our city during a time when businesses were closing and, and people were shutting down and artists were, weren't, making you know great art and and collaborating and things like that so i really believe at that time midtown was like this this big sort of like i think i can i think i can i think i can the concept right and that's really i think people just kept watching it sort of grow and grow and grow when everything else was sort of stagnant and closing and it gave a lot of hope and and here we are today as you know um so many successful businesses down there great restaurants and great artwork and great entrepreneurs. And so I'm, I'm super, super proud. And as you know, the, the road just got finished, which is super awesome. But I'm always, you know, I'm terrible because I'm always so critical. So sometimes I look at things, I'm like, oh, we should have done this. I, I really fought the medians. I really hope that those do come out one day. I, I don't like them. I think those blocks of concrete <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, good for me. I don't like it. I don't like it. So everyone should know. But I Change is hard. Critical. I've almost yeah, driven over right, them. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but I've been very critical of those. And, you know, I hope to get my way. But it's hard when, you know, I mean, the the city that goes to the RTC board and, and that's on their plate. But I was very vocal about the never-ending concrete median, and I hope to take that out one day. And that not for, I mean, obviously, aesthetics-wise, I don't like it, but I mean, even bigger reasons, I think it's um, not helpful when we have emergency vehicles that need to turn left immediately, or you see people, you know, kind of stepping on the gas in that area just to get through that because they can't have access. So, you know, I always get frustrated, but at the same time, you can't, you know, gift a, what do they say? Kick a gift horse in the mouth, right? Yes. So, yeah. so I'm trying to be thankful, but um, I think it's beautiful, and I'm super proud of of the work that everyone put in to make it happen. Well, it just goes to show, you know, when you're when you're creating community, you set a vision in a direction, but you can't always control the details, and that's you know that's one of those things that I've noticed this. You know, at Edon, we set a lot of direction, and then we help empower a lot of other people to do it, but. You know, they, you know, it's once they're empowered off the races, it's, it's, you know, they're going to do it the way they're going to do it. And I think it's a, it's, it's a great way of, of amplifying change 
but sometimes it's going to be frustrated if you do, you know if you don't get those specific mm-hmm. things that you want. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's come so far. I I remember the going down to the original Midtown Eats and thinking, boy, this corner of St. Lawrence in Virginia is going to be where it's at. And fortunately, we were able to get a home not too far from there, and it has become that. And it's just fascinating to have a window seat into the future of something. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It really has. I mean, it's. It's just, it's become so dynamic. I would say Reno has really, and and I'm proud of this because that was one of the things when I ran for office, I really wanted to have a city hall that was open to everyone, but it's become very dynamic, very vibrant. But I love that we, one thing that we have done, and I, and this was a a goal by all of us, because we all talked about this and it's diversifying your community and, and an economy. Remember, we were just predominantly gaming and yeah. that's not the case anymore. I mean, we truly are this city full of vibrancy and arts and culture and great food. And, you know, as you know, because you've been such a big part of the movement, great entrepreneurs, but technology cutting edge, like drones. I mean, we've had a lot of people move up here from Las Vegas, right? Because our climate is much better for drones. Um, just much better. We just leave it at much better, period. I grew up in Phoenix. I It's much better. Right, right. Well, you know me, like I, I get super territorial and defensive about my city. So uh, yeah, you're not allowed to say anything bad about me. No. <laughs> you know, I, mean, the, the, I get in those Twitter fights. You've probably seen that. I've like, seen a few of those. I know. I try to avoid that, but I, you're you're yeah. braver than I am about that kind of stuff. Yeah. No, even with comedians, we had a comedian come in here. What was his name? Now I can't even think. Oh, Jeffrey. What's his name? <laughs> he was very funny, but he came to town and, and uh, so we were just going back and forth to uh, on Twitter. And, and so that was a lot of fun. Uh, we were on Comedy Central. And... <laughs> <laughs> Look, you've just been yeah. such an amazing advocate. I think, you know, just the shift, you know, you mentioned before we used to be driven by gaming, I think, and then the 14.5% unemployment, the, what was it, Ram Emanuel or something like that said a, uh, a, a good crisis is a horrible thing to waste. Like, I really believe that had we not gone through that recession, we would not see where we are today because it, it opened up a whole landscape where people said, gosh, we might as well try something other than what we're doing because nothing else is working. It's so true. It is so true. Well, I do, I do believe that. I think hardships just make you better, right? Like, I mean, they make you stronger and, and I think they make you realize so much more about yourself and your surroundings. And um, and so you're right, like, don't waste those opportunities. Yeah. Well, and you're no stranger to hardship. I mean, I know there's been a lot of good things, but you've had a particularly hard couple of years with you You lost a, your brother and your sister. I mean, it, it, in the midst of COVID, I mean, how... How have you been able to to manage through all of that? I just my heart goes out to you, Hillary. Oh, it's you're been a tragic so year. sweet. You're so sweet and so kind. Everyone has been so kind. I, I guess, yeah, this year was just super brutal. I think you know, obviously, being a mayor during this time has been really challenging. I would say with a pandemic, and then obviously we had some unrest in our city, and and during that time, you know, my sister was incredibly ill, and she was terminal, and I moved her in with me at the time to take care of her, and I couldn't get any help because we were in a pandemic, right? So it was a balance. I I was kind of you know here I am being the mayor, and then I'm taking care of my sister, and and I mean I loved every minute because I got to spend it with her, but I think. You know, there was such a piece of my heart that was so heavy because I literally, you know, whenever the riot broke out, I I remember looking at the TV and then I looked upstairs at my sister's room 
And I just, my heart was just breaking for my city and breaking for my sister. And I thought, you know, as a mayor, you have to be so strong. Like people don't want to see any weakness right now. And this is not the time to fall apart. Right. And so I, so I, you know, it was really, really tough. And then a few weeks later, uh, I lost my brother and yeah, it was just, it was, it's just been a devastating, devastating year. Um, but on so many people, not just me, but so many people, this was, you know, I'll, I'll never forget just like six months ago, I attended my first funeral via zoom. And I just was like, how do we, like, how do you process that? Right? Like, and so the other thing that I really worry about, and you know, this Doug, I'm a huge advocate for mental health and, and, you know, it's something that my, my brother and my sister struggled with, to be honest with you, my sister went into massive depression and she had major depression before she was diagnosed with cancer. But, and it was something I never wanted to talk about because I never wanted to make them feel ashamed of, you know, sort of their, their issues with mental health. And unfortunately, honestly, at the end of the day, you know, both of their deaths were a result of mental health issues because her depression got so bad that she stopped going to treatment and we didn't know it. And by that time it was too late. She was in stage four. Wow. So really it was sorry just, to hear that. well, the reason I tell it is that I think it's important that we, we talk about mental health as much as possible now because it's, because the stigma has just really been something that I just can't even tell you so many people suffer in silence and they shouldn't have to ever suffer in silence. And I, I also believe that we just, we should be able to have accessibility to mental health services, regardless of what your income is at all times. And also we've got to stop treating mental health and, and using our jails as mental health hospitals. Oh, right. Yeah. I, you know, and you, you see it from a different perspective. I mean, on multiple perspectives. I mean, you've seen it personally, you see it at the city level. This is one of those things that hurts my heart. We have many of the amazing tools to help deal with mental health, yet they're not widely distributed. I have a good friend of mine. He's going to be on the podcast, Dr. Matt May. He's a cognitive behavioral psychiatrist from Stanford. And if everybody could sit with Matt, yeah, I think I everybody it. would be great. You know, like, right, I mean, right, right. <laughs> we all need a Matt in our lives, right? <laughs> but they're, you know, they're not, they're not all Matt's and they're not all that accessible. And, and so this is one of those big entrepreneurial challenges, or at least big, you know, challenges for me is like, how do you, how do you make mental health more accessible? I just, another had another conversation with uh, a local entrepreneur who's got about a, a billion dollar company and they're taking uh, psychedelic derivatives to help treat opiate addiction. Mm, it's a non-psychoactive. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, and so like, I love seeing that kind of innovation, but I think you really put your finger on it. I mean, the stigma associated with mental health is one of the biggest challenges. And I don't, you know, I'm not, I don't know where that comes from because, you know, I've been to, I don't know, dozens of therapists. I can't count over the mm -hmm. years. And I put a lot of development into, you know, into my, I, you know, sometimes Jungian, sometimes cognitive behavioral. I'm just super curious about the mind and how it works. And I, you know, happy to tell everybody about it. Because... I'm so glad you do that. Cause I think, look at the society we are, because I think we worry so much about our physical appearance right? Think about that. We go to the gym, we work on our bodies, but we don't have like gyms for our mind, right? And our mental health. And that is just as important. Like I always say, you know, health and mental health are the same thing. We've got to quit separating it. It's it, they are the same thing. And as you know, I mean, this year, just because I was suffering so much. And then I, I, I realized I, I actually called, you know, I didn't know quite know how to deal with 
all this grief I was having, especially I was, I was strong. And then when I lost my brother a couple of weeks after that, I was like, okay, I'm not strong anymore. Cause I could see, you know, my mother's heart just breaking. I mean, to lose two children so quickly and, you know, in such a short time frame. but I called therapists and to be honest with you, Doug, I, I was so discouraged because when I got on the phone, they would tell me, Oh, it'll be three weeks to get in. It'll be eight weeks to get in. And I just was like, okay, I cannot wait that long. And then the other thing that was frustrating is I have great health insurance and, um, Oh, we don't take that health insurance. You'll have to self pay. And I thought, you know, I'm fortunate enough because I, I have a good job and I can, I can pay for those things, but a lot of people can't. And so that's whenever I started to say, okay, we've got to do something. And how, how do we do this? And it was so interesting. I was sitting there and I was watching the TV and Michael Phelps came on with Talkspace. And I was like, that's it. What if we could buy a Talkspace membership for everyone in our community? Like so many people are grieving right now, whether you've lost someone to COVID or even if you've just experienced a death, and the numbers are amazing. They're, well, not amazing. They're truly tragic when you talk about how many people have died of COVID and how many people that it affects and the grief. I mean, it's millions upon millions of people that are grieving in our country right now due to COVID. Then, then the secondary grief of other things, what if you've lost your job, right? And then you're on the brink of homeless, homelessness or you are homeless because of, uh, you know, COVID, right? So there's all these things that I think grief plays a big part in. And that's why I, I remember going to my city manager and saying, hey, what about, you know, buying Talkspace membership for everyone for a year? And oh my gosh, I thought he was going to say, Hillary, you are so crazy. But he was like, I love it. It's so great. I was like, what? And I mean, it was just great. But again, I think being an entrepreneur, I understand too, that private and public partnerships are so much better and government does, does a lot of things very poorly. And we are not uh, therapists or in the business of, of therapy, but let's find someone who is. And let's get that in the hands of our community. So I'm super excited to be the first city in America to offer talk space to all of our residents. Wow, I did not know that. That's amazing. Oh, how could you not know it? I, you know, I bit <laughs> off in my own world. Okay. Got to tell everyone. <laughs> okay, I love that. I, what a what an amazing thing to do. I had no idea that we were doing that. It's, I'm just floored. That's that is such a great thing to do because it what you're doing is you're making it more accessible. Like, it, you know, I do some executive coaching and one of the, one, there's this kind of funny line where you put up a, you put a picture of a lamppost up because basically, you know, if someone talks to a lamppost every day, it's better than nothing. Right. And so, <laughs> so the reminder is <laughs> you can be better than a lamppost, right? Like, it's just a, like a little bit of a motivation when you're coaching someone like, oh, you know, I am here, I'm holding space. But so to just to create that, to, to normalize, the fact that you, it, you know, if things are tough, talk to somebody, you know, and, and to give them a tool. I think that's a, an amazing solution. I, I'm really happy to, to learn about that. Well, and you might not know about because it, it is brand new. We just did a presser a couple weeks ago on it. And really the entire initiative is called hopefulcities.org. And we're hoping to pilot that for other cities and, and a, a part of hopefulcities.org. And I would say any Reno resident that's listening to this podcast, you know, get on there and, and check it out because it's also, there's a big component of it and it's about teaching hope because hope is really important because we know that hopelessness really has a lot to do with suicide, anxiety, and depression, right? 
And so we know that hopelessness truly contributes to that. And so we wanted to be a city that can provide hope. And a lot of people think of hope in a different way of like, oh, I hope I get to do this, right? Well, that sounds like a wish. We have taught people that hope is a wish, but that's not true. Hope is truly obtainable and we need to understand the science and everything behind hope. And so I've collaborated with, um, I, she's great. You, I, I don't know if you know her yet, and she's an awesome entrepreneur here in Reno, Catherine Getsky. Um, have you met her yet with iFred.org? No. She's awesome. She's one of my favorite entrepreneurs. She's super cool. She has written books and, you know, she she's had her own personal tragedy with losing her father to suicide. And she just got so involved in mental health and and the study of hope and she's brought in these experts from harvard and then you know she's just worked with so many incredible people big big names too and built this foundation and we're so lucky to have her so i collaborated with her on this initiative and it's hopefulcities.org and we also give out free workbooks on this hope initiative and those workbooks are really tailored to K through six. And so I would say, especially parents that might be sitting at home and, and want a really great thing to provide to your children about hope and compassion and empathy, which are all those things that are so critical, I think, to teach children. The cool thing is, is that curriculum is really robust robust now that you can literally she's been going into you know large scale company fortune 500 companies and been teaching the study of hope and using these workbooks right so these are all free for any reno residents so hopefulcities.org and um, i'm really proud of it that's great i'll make sure and put that in the show notes and you know one of the things that really stands out for me is that you've transformed or really transmuted your own personal tragedy into hope and that you can share that hope with the rest of the community. I mean, that's that's super inspiring, Hillary, and it's very consistent with how I know you. I mean, you know, to be able to go through that and then not only go through your own struggle, but then recognize this is a, you know, a common struggle and then to put something like this in place and use your, your pulpit and your power as a mayor to bring that out to the world. I mean, that's real transformation. And, you know, my personal belief on this is, you know, we talk all about change, but I think change always starts with inside yourself. And, you know, that's where if we want to change the world, we have to change ourselves. And so healthy humans equals a much better world, in my opinion. Isn't um, it so true? A, it's so true. It's great. And I, I love, you know, I love that you can bring that into the schools. We can bring it out there. I mean, I, you know, I'm a big fan. I don't know if you know this, but I've been a daily meditator for probably, oh, I don't know. Well, every day for probably three or four years, but on and off for about seven or eight years. And I, I sit with my that. kids every day. I did not know that. So my dad was really into meditation and into plant-based diet and literally turned around heart disease by eating plant-based. And But one of the things that he really attributed a lot of his success to, which I got to learn because, you know, I used to be a competitive figure skater, but was was meditation and also as an athlete how much it helped to sort of go through that in your mind and you picture yourself and your per performance so i think that is fantastic and i how come i'm not surprised you're <laughs> so good like i want to come back as you in my next life you're like so good and so balanced and i love it well I, you, you talk to my wife to see how, how that actually works out. On <laughs> yeah, the... Ben Ben's like, wait a minute. Yeah. I don't live with you, so you're cool. I yeah, like no, that's good. But just to be able to sit with the kids, right? This is the other thing is what, I, what I've noticed is, you know, that we come pre-programmed. My oldest is a lot more interior. My youngest is all exterior. 
And, you know, just to see even at eight when they got nothing, to get, you know, they start to internalize things and to be able to sit with them and do just little bits of meditation so they can separate those things. It's just been remarkable. And I've just seen them transform as a result of it. I mean, you know, we're not hardcore about it, but it's uh, it's just part of our daily practice. Yeah, so, I love yeah. that. Well, it reminds me of like, that would be great integration for SEL. I'm such a big believer in SEL, you know, social emotional learning. I think that is super critical. And if you put practice like that in, for your children, think about like, I just think they're going to understand and, and be so connected to, you know, sort of the human soul of, of really what's, what's important, yes. you know? I love Absolutely. that about you, but you're like, you are, you're like the perfect dad too. Oh my God, my well, kids are amazing. You got to talk to the kids. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you for such the kind words about being a, it, being a dad is my favorite thing. And, you know, I think so many of the things that I've learned that I brought into the family and the community have come as a result of being with some other great people though. So working through my entrepreneurial or through entrepreneurs organization, my forum, that's how we first got exposed to meditation and, you know, most of the entrepreneurs now that I know in the local chapter use this thing called the Oak Journal. I don't know if this is a shout out for the Oak Journal. It's had a, some entrepreneur in uh, Colorado created it, but it's a, a journal that focuses on po positive psychology. It's got a routine for 10, 10, 10. So 10 minutes of meditation, 10 minutes of reading and 10 minutes of journaling every day. Gratitude. Mm -hmm. It's a really cool journal. So if, you know, if people are interested in, in, something that's really good for entrepreneurs or anybody. It's so journal. good. So important. Matter of fact, um, Telio, I think, actually said, Hillary, I've got this great journal for you. He's also one of our mutual friends and in EO. Um, I'm sure it's that. He did. <laughs> I'm sure it's the Oak I, Journal. I, so I just, it, the light bulb just went off in my head and I was thinking, I bet this is what Telio wanted me to do. And he was like, if you don't have a journal, I'm sending you one right away. So totally. I, I got to get my journal from him. <laughs> it's a great thing. I mean, you know, and again, just for someone you know, as we're, you know, we're talking about a healthy humans make a healthy city, right? Like all of so the things that you can do in terms of prevention, keep people out of the jails, out of difficult situations. I mean, it's all that, you know, one of the things I learned as, an, you know, running a manufacturing company is all problems are best solved early in the process. When, you know, when the paddleboard that we had shipped shows up in the United States with the wrong name on it, that's too late. Like, <laughs> that's so true. Fix it in the factory, <laughs> right. you know? So fix it early and then, you know, because it gets mm -hmm. much better. Mm -hmm. But I think you're right. Like, honestly, I was talking to someone else about this and I really believe mental health first in cities. Can you imagine if we really started there and really made that a priority? I mean, we would be so much better off in our communities in so many ways, so many ways. So you're right. Totally. What do you think the city's role is? I mean, I, I love that you've got people on this new product or this new application. What else can the city do to maybe even just to address the stigma? Maybe that maybe that's yeah. a good place to start. Well, I love that you're asking me that question because there is sort of this barrier, which is a little challenging that a lot of people don't know about. And that is the health and human service side of everything in our community is at the county. It's not even at the city level. And actually, we're not even, we are, we have taken on the responsibility at the city of Reno of the, of our homeless population. And a lot of people don't know that's actually a county function. And so again, health and human services side is on the county side because they receive funding through the state. So I would say at the city of Reno, it's been pretty challenging 
to be able to put things in place, um, you know, to address those issues. But there are definite things that we can do. And certainly a huge topic is looking at, you know, how you can invest in mental health. And a big piece of that is through our police departments, right? I mean, I think people also forget, look, our police officers go out to stressful situations every single day and deal with like major PTSD and things like that. And I think that, you know, we've done, and this is cities all across America. I mean, literally, I mean, they experience traumatic events every single day. And yet you're saying, okay, you know, brush that under the rug and just go out to the next you know, um, call. And, and I think we have to, you know, continue to, to look at ways how we're going to sort of nurture, you know, their well-being. right? If you want to, if you want a great community and a safe community, you've got to also take care of those people that are experiencing probably high amounts of stress and anxiety, you know, from, from what they do as a profession. Right. So I think cities can play a big role in that. I also think you're right, like the stigma, we've got to start talking about it. The sad part is I never wanted to talk about sort of the mental health issues that were in my family for a very long time because I, like I said, I never wanted to make my brother and my sister feel ashamed. But now that they're gone, I feel like I need to do it to change it for someone else. I can't do anything to change what's happened for them, but I certainly can for others. And so to your point, like we all need to start talking about it and saying, hey, it's okay to not be okay and to reach out. And I mean, just the pure amount of shame that I think, you know, my brother and my sister felt, no one should ever feel that way, ever, ever, ever. So, shame's the worst, by the isn't way. Isn't that I awful? mean, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of emotions that you can deal with, but there's no value in shame. Like you can trans- so true. transmute guilt, you can work through these... But shame, I, it just has no place in it's human so experience. true. And so it's, it's just so true. Tough to see people suffer in silence. Yeah. yeah, you're so right. But you know, I gotta say, like this is how we deal with with this in our country. Obviously, being a mayor, I see it firsthand, and I'm super frustrated because one of the the programs I'm trying to build is a 24/7 crisis center, and that is a place where if you're having any mental health issues or you are having addiction issues. You know, we've seen a lot of relapse during the pandemic and it's a 24 seven place where anyone in the community could could access instead of, you know, because quite honestly, I mean, there's a lot of people that probably get taken to jail that shouldn't go to jail. They just need um, some, you know, mental health services and AR jails are not the place to you know, deal with mental health issues. And also a lot of times our ERs are not. A lot of times our ER rooms are not equipped to deal with mental health issues. And so I've been working really hard to put together this crisis now model, which is 24 seven, because again, you know, mental health does not stop at five o'clock, right? And I want that resource in the community. So when our officers interact with people, there is a place to take them. So I've been re- working really hard about the last year and a half with the state to put this in place. They were generous enough to give me a building on the NAMS campus to do this initiative. I've just got to get more people, you know, on board. Everyone says, oh, I want to do it. But when we come down to vote for it, you know, they've got to really step up and do that. So I would just say if anyone's listening and and you know who represents you in your jurisdiction, ask them to support the Crisis Now model through the city of Reno, because i that's the next step. I need them to help help us fund this. It's super important. So that's my next big endeavor. <laughs> I love this. So I'm learning so many great things that, um, you know, and I, I'm pretty well informed, although, you know, I've been in a little bit of my own bubble. 
supporting the entrepreneurs, but yeah, you know, we entrepreneurs have. and mental health go hand in hand in my experience. Don't they? You know? <laughs> Don't they? We know we have high stress, right? And yeah. high demands and you know, we, we, it's stressful, you know, raising money is, is crazy and then bring on great talent. And then if you have a bad partner and I mean, I mean, that's, I do believe that like entrepreneurs are like, so wired for chaos, but that's also what makes them so successful. Totally. There are, and you, and you have to kind of wonder, you know, it's kind of crazy to think that you can change the world. Right. And that, and so (laughs) at some baseline, I, I, you know, I've been through many, many uh, lifeline presentations where people kind of map the highs and lows of their life. And only one entrepreneur I can ever think of didn't have some major thing happen that sort of disrupted the way it was. And so I think that at some point they get kind of cracked open and see the world from a different perspective. But it's so true. It's so true. Which is part of one of my things is that I I want to see healthy entrepreneurs. Again, healthy leaders influence their companies, which influence their communities, which influences the individuals. So to me, that's a way of getting... Uh, you know, amplifying your impact is by helping entrepreneurs or leaders become healthy. It's so true. Again, mental health first. Can you imagine if that was like the first piece of your, your roadmap going into, you know, being a, a startup or any business and think about the culture that you would create amongst others around you, right? Like, again, we invest so much in, in our aesthetics, but we're not investing enough in our soul and in our brains and minds. I think that the I'm very optimistic about some of the millennial businesses and some of the newer businesses. I think that they are putting this at the forefront. I mean, you know, it started with culture and employee retention, but I'm seeing more and more of that. I do think, though, just circling back to what you said, you know, I've ha- I have a couple of friends that are first responders, you know, former SWAT, uh, first responders, fire, and we could do a lot more to help support those those folks my you know i think they're doing more with the fire service now but you forget you know that is a difficult job like i'd never connected with the reality of that until i started you know became friends with one of the guys uh, my friend michael buman and just the offhanded comments that he says of the things that he's seen feel like those would be the worst days of ever in my life and yet he has many True. of those it's so true, but out of sight, out of mind, right? Like people don't really know unless they like sort of live a day in the life. And I think you're right. We we don't realize the magnitude of those jobs and how stressful they are and some of the, the trauma that they see every day. Yeah. And I think we're going to see more of that. Actually, at a, at a recent board meeting, uh, the heads of our hospitals came up and said, you know, we're going to face a healthcare worker crisis because it's like a war zone and people have PTSD from working in COVID and so that the whole industry is going to be, see a challenge um, in recruiting and hiring people, which is obviously as, a, you know, as we grow as a city, quality healthcare on all levels is going to be important. So hopefully we can find a way to uh, invest more in development of good healthcare professionals. Well, well, and I would say, here's the one good thing about the pandemic. Nothing's been good about the p- pandemic, but what I would say is it, I think it's really been a wake-up call for cities to invest in their healthcare infrastructure, right? And even just some of the ways that I've watched Renown pivot or St. Mary's or just some of the innovative things that they did. I'm sure a lot of cities did this, but I, I thought it was fascinating. Tony Sloan and I were talking and he said, well, you know, we sort of have these patients over here that we would normally admit, but we're going to send them home. And then we send them home with like monitoring packs that, you know, they can deliver that data right back to the hospital. So you do have doctors sort of watching them, but it's all remote. Right. So just kind of seeing different ways of how we can be more efficient 
in healthcare, but also really seeing where we have not invested nearly enough in our healthcare infrastructure. And I think, again, it's so critical to look at because when you're trying to be a city that you want to have a great quality of life, certainly you want to have great healthcare. So we have to stay on top of that for sure. But it's also, I think, opened up so many opportunities for entrepreneurs in the space, right? Like doing really cool things. And the other thing I do love about the pandemic is I think it just kind of put everyone's foot on the gas um, in different ways, kind of sped up this technology sort of sector of, okay, ready to go. And, you know, products that might not have been ready to go five years ago had to kind of like step into high gear and say, here we go. I can do, we can provide this now, right? This technology. So that in a way, you know, you adapt like right away. So that's the cool thing about technology. Totally. Crisis drives innovation again. And, you know, like 10 years of probably social change in 10 months. You know? <laughs> Isn't I mean, that so true? I mean, mm-hmm. work from home, obviously, uh, you know, uh, distance healthcare, like uh, what, there's a word I'm looking for anyway, you know, healthcare over the phones. I mean, all of these things that have, have been transformed overnight and probably aren't going backwards. So, mm-hmm. you know, and it is, you know, I, I'm with you. I mean, no one wants to say, hey, there's, a, you know, the pandemic was great, but there have been some powerful shifts that I think will over time be seen as really positive. Uh, you know, I mean, personally, I've had a lot of time with my family, but, you know, that's a, on the personal side, but just the, the transformation to remote work, I think that will help communities like ours benefit because we have a great place to live. You know, just it's opened up a whole set of different opportunities for people. But on the you know, on the flip side, it's it's been very challenging for certain sectors as well. So it's been it's been a wild thing to watch. Like when we first started, some of my EO buddies, one person's business was, you know, growing 50% year over year and just crushing it. And then my other friend had 20 million in revenue and it went to zero and just overnight. And just to watch you know, here we are and having two very different experiences. It was just very difficult to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. No, it's very true. I, I've, I've seen the same thing, especially, you know, I have friends, obviously, that own very successful restaurants. I mean, look at how challenging, right? And then, I mean, everyone started to try to figure out, okay, what, what can I do to survive this? And people got pretty innovative. And, you know, I mean, we were doing member package cocktails and, you know, the bars were doing all that stuff. Right. Um, but you know, what's cool about that. Like, I think people need to realize and governments need to really take note that this is, we had to immediately approve those types of things to lift the red tape, which was great because it showed that government can do that. So let's be the culture of yes and not the culture of no in government. So how does that stick? How do we make that stick? <laughs> you got to run for office, Doug. Oh, okay. All right. All right. <laughs> you know how I feel about it. I'm going to recruit you some way where, where there's a will, there's a way. But I love that about you. I mean, I, I do want to say, I can't remember, you know, it was a few months back, you were texting me, people were texting me, you know, people were saying, gosh, I hate this pandemic. I hate COVID. I hate COVID. I get this text from you and it says, oh, Hillary, it's been so great. I get to spend time with my kids and you're all about gratitude and being thankful and just, you know, I mean, that's who you are. And so um, I love that about you. So I, I think we just need to spread more of Doug Irwin. <laughs> uh, well, thank you. Well, I, I, wear a, I wear a bracelet that says love what is, which is basically uh. don't be in conflict with reality. Mm-hmm. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, so it, it, that's not that's not to be Pollyannish, but, you know, like there is a pandemic 
And I might as well just be able to reality of that. And that means that I'm going to be less extroverted. I'm going to have more time with family. And, you know, again, I feel very privileged. I, you know, I, I've, you know, we were not as affected as some, but I still stand by love what is. And the other, the other side on the inside of it, it says turn towards everything, which is basically uh, don't be afraid, you know, don't run away from things, turn towards them. That's the only way, only way out of it is through it. And it's so, so true. to face the, you know, to face it head on. Well, that's the thing. I always try to find, okay, in any bad situation, I mean, ask yourself, what are the three things that I can actually say that actually came out of those situations? Like I I said, even, you know, the hardship that I've been through with losing my sister and my brother, you know, the things that I can say, like, you know, I have the ability to do something that can help others. So you have to, you have to think like that or otherwise I, I think it's a pretty dark world. Yeah, for sure. Well, so what's next for you and what's next for the city here? You know, what, what, are, what, are, you, what's for, what are we going to see in 10 more years? Are we going to get a streetcar? You know, are we going to get flying cars? Like, what do you yes, think is going to be? I want flying cars. You know that. <laughs> We're going to have, you know, Bitcoin on, or blockchain or Chainlink or Tezos on every corner. Like, what are you? You know how I am. Like, that That has been my, my thing. I'm just so fascinated by blockchain technology and what's going on. And gosh, I've been like immersed in NFTs for the last two weeks. <laughs> well, you know, I just think that it's exciting and it's something I want our city to embrace. But I really believe there's, you know, government, especially in technology, is so antiquated. It's crazy, painful, antiquated. I mean, remember when they rolled out the ACA, how horrible that was? I mean, I, it was just sort of shocking, like how how could this be right but it's a it's a reality of of government one of the things is our technology is so antiquated and we saw our systems just all the fraud that happened with our unemployment right and we could really avoid it that had we had blockchain technology in place with you know some of their id technologies like uh chainlink's got you know some great id technology and things like that so you can verify those users but one of the things that blockchain does obviously is it's about transparency right and so i just think those are are things that governments better be putting at top of mind right now and and i'm excited for the future it's still the technology is still so new and you can't go in and just take government technology and rip it out because then you have no system and then to build it back under certain sort of experiments is not a good thing right so you kind of do have to do it in in steps you got to just you know sort of work through it so i'm looking at different things and it's exciting because i honestly have had i've had good meetings great meetings actually with uh, tezos and with Chainlink. And it just it's been fascinating to see how gracious they've been to work, want to work with government and, you know, put some test cases in place. So it's really cool. I'm, I'm, I'm excited. So we'll see what happens from there. But right now it's just all about getting more vaccines and also making sure that, you know, We've talked about this first wave of COVID, the second wave of COVID, but I really believe the biggest wave is the tidal wave of what we're going to deal with with mental health. So I want to stay really focused on that. I'm working with a ton of our local providers, our local therapists. That was the other good thing that came out of Talkspace because we, I got really criticized for it, which is fine. I, you know, that's the job I signed up for. I get it. But the cool thing is, is that a whole bunch of local therapists came to the table and said, we want to be a part of this mental health initiative. And so I've been working with a lot of them, which has been fantastic because we're going to roll into that initiative that will be a long-term initiative 
because I want to make sure there are no barriers to mental health. But we've got so much happening. I mean, even in the pandemic, I think people might have, they might not know this because I know we were also focused on it, but we've made some of the top lists in the country for best cities and this category and that category, right? Like we continued to move, right? And people, I think, didn't realize that we, but we were still a city that was growing, but growing well and paying attention to things like climate change and infrastructure and just all the things that make a great city, right? So there's a lot going on. I mean, I mean, my day every day is so crazy busy, but it's good. Like I'm super, super grateful. I'm super grateful to represent such a, a great city, but great people that live in this city like you, right? So I, I can't complain. I can't complain. I can't argue with you there. No, but no, honestly, <laughs> no, I mean, it's, you're such a, an inspiration and you're so inseparably linked to the transformation that has happened in this community. People, it's so hard for people to recognize what Reno was before. I mean, I've had so many calls where people are like, you're in Reno, eh, you know, to yeah, yeah. now it's like, yeah, Reno, it's great. I hear it's great. You know, you know, the Muppets made fun of us. And now <laughs> we, you know, we've come full circle. And, and of course we have our challenges. I mean, the, the growth has happened so quickly. You know, there's housing challenges all up and down the West Coast. I mean, it's, it is not without its challenges, but I'll tell you what, I think these are the types of challenges that, that are worth fighting for. And again, I'm, if I can do anything to help you champion mental health, I'm on board. Mm. I, like I said, I'm a true believer. This is the, one of the things that hurts my heart more than anything. So, oh, I'm uh, so glad to hear that because it's going to take all of us, right? And so grateful that you're talking about it too. And again, the more we talk about it, I think the more people will feel comfortable seeking help and, and understanding how critical it is. So I really appreciate that. But you've always been so wonderful and so helpful. And I'm, you know, I think you've built such a great ecosystem for our entrepreneurs. And, and so I've just been super blessed. Like I said, I've so many great people like you in the community that are just willing to help. That's who we we kind of are, but I think, you know, this next phase, you know, we just are going to be bigger and better. I'm really just, I'm very proud. Very, very yeah. proud. Well, you've done an amazing job. And, and look, I, I want to be mindful of your time. I know you have a million other things that, you know, that are, you need to attend to as mayor, but I just thank you for being so gracious with your time today. And I look forward to doing this again with you and, and uh, yeah, let, let me know what I can do to help. Let's definitely, let's, let's check in and I'm going to continue to, keep trying to recruit you to run for office and hashtag mayor made me do it. So there you go. <laughs> <laughs> one day, maybe one day. One we'll day. see. <laughs> I'm going to get you there. I'm going to get you. I don't know what it is. Something. Maybe we'll throw you on school board. I don't know. Oh, something. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what did like, I do oh, wrong? Don't. Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> anyway, thanks so much, Doug. I love seeing you and give Ben Ben a big hug and hopefully we'll see each other again very soon at the Innovation Center. That sounds great. All right. Take good care. 